You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. Good morning. It's really, really great to be with you. Uh, just for the online community, we're not live streaming to any other sites. It's just you guys this morning, which is wonderful. And I just love thinking about you all just all over the world. Um, and uh, just, you know, don't be shy this morning. Put your name in the chat and all that. I'd love to find out who's listening. Um, uh, yeah, so, so I don't know whether you came across a new story. I don't know, what would it be, a couple of weeks ago, about the guy in Birmingham who had engraved the entire Lord's Prayer onto a speck of gold that would fit through the eye of a needle. It was just a crazy story. Every single one of the 273 letters of the Lord's Prayer was engraved on this speck of gold. It was just a tiny little disc. Uh, each letter was half the height of the width of a human hair, and he had gone to like unbelievable lengths to be able to, to do that. And so, for example, he'd taken beta blockers to slow his heart down. He'd had injections into his eyelids to stop him from blinking so often. He was, uh, he'd taped a um, stethoscope to his ears so that he would only work in between his own heartbeats. Uh, and um, uh, he only ever worked in the middle of the night because if he worked during the day, then if a lorry went past, you know, as he's working through a microscope, it just, the whole thing was like working in an earthquake. And so he just couldn't do it. And, and so he did all of that just so that he could achieve his goal of, of this Lord's Prayer on the speck of gold. And, and I was just, remember thinking to myself, like, oh, I hope I'd ever meet him at a dinner party. Can you imagine? I mean, I'm sort of a bit awkward. I'm not great at small talk. I can just imagine myself just this sentence comes out of my mouth before I've even thought about it. Like, uh, do you ever think to yourself, what on earth am I doing with my life? I think that's what I might be tempted to say. Although, to be honest, uh, uh, when you read down the article further down, it said that this guy, his speck of gold was worth £250,000. And so I was thinking, goodness, what am I doing with my life <laughs> after all of that? But this question, what am I doing with my life, is a critical question. And I think that the passage of scripture that we're going to look at in a moment addresses that. Um, uh, what are we doing with our lives? What is the key to a life that is beautiful and blessed and fruitful, I think this passage is going to say this. It's going to say the key to a blessed and beautiful and fruitful life is obedience. It's listening to the voice of Jesus in the scriptures and by his spirit, the still small voice of God, and then trying as much as possible to do exactly what he's asking us to do. And so we're getting that from John chapter 14. Um, if you've got your Bible with you, either in digital or analog form, now is the moment to produce it. And uh, we're going to be in John chapter 14, verse 15. Let me just set the scene. This is uh, kind of the passage after the passage we looked at a while ago. This is the, the Last Supper. And Jesus is with his disciples. He's already washed their feet. He's already broken bread. And they've shared the very first communion together, in a sense. And Judas Iscariot has now left the building to go and betray Jesus. And so this is an incredibly intimate and intense moment. And this is what he says. If you love me, 
keep my commands. We see the obedience. Just listen for the obedience all the way through this passage. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I won't be leaving you as orphans. I'll come to you. Before long, the world won't see me anymore, but you'll see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you'll realize that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I'm in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I've spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That's God's word to us this morning. It's hard for us to fully um, understand the intensity of this moment as I've been reflecting on that. The, the, the most um, uh, similar experience that I've had in my own life was when I had the opportunity to say goodbye to my grandfather, my granddad, for the last time. We're obviously living near Aberdeen. Um, he was right down in the south of England. I got the call. You know, he's 93, his body's failing, he's in a hospice. If you want to say goodbye, you need to come now. And so I booked a flight, and on the flight, I'm just thinking to myself, what can I say? You know, just in those last moments, the last opportunity, what will I say? What words will I choose? Will I select? How will we spend our time together? And when I got to see him, it was clear that he'd been thinking along the same lines because he, he, he was choosing his words unbelievably carefully. And so we read the scriptures together, Revelation chapter 21. You know, uh, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And, and then we prayed together and we said some things to one another that were just so beautiful and so precious. We kissed one another and then we said goodbye. And from what I understand, he did the same thing with all of uh, his other nearest and dearest too. And then not long after that, maybe a day or so, he was promoted to glory. You see, that's the intensity of this moment. Jesus is with his disciples for the last time. He knows he's going to die more than anyone else. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And he's choosing his words. And you can imagine the Apostle John afterwards, wherever he went, people were asking him, like, so what was it like? Those last moments you had with him before he died. What, you know, what was he like? What? And John was like, well, actually, I was lying on his chest at the time. And what I remember is that it seemed to be uppermost in his mind. Obedience. 
He just kept talking over and over again about if you love me, then you'll do what I'm asking you to do. If you love me, you'll do what I'm asking you to do. If you love me, then you'll obey what I'm telling you. This seemed to be the thing. That's like that's the deal. You'll see it there three times in this in this passage. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And so if I'm asking myself the question, what on earth am I doing with my life? Then uh, as a follower of Jesus, it seems to me that, that it's really, really clear what we should be doing, uh, as well as all the kind of specifics, right at the heart of our lives is this, what is Jesus asking me to do? And what am I doing about it? Is the critical question. You may have heard of a book called The Five Love Languages. You know, the, the basic premise of the book is, like, each one of us understands and receives love in a particular way. And there's basically five categories. So some people, you know, they really know that they're loved if someone gives them a gift. We call those the shallow people. Now, I'm just joking, <laughs> just joking. Uh, or, um, you know, I really know that I'm loved when I hear words of affirmation, when people tell me that they love me. We call those the needy people. Now, again, I'm just joking. Uh, and there's some others like physical touch and, uh, you know, acts of service. Like, uh, don't just tell me you love me, put the bins out, then I'll really know that you love me. And there's another that escapes my mind. Anyway, the point is, uh, Jesus has a love language. And his love language is obedience. He understands love. He receives love from us when we do what it is that he's asking us to do. C.S. Lewis said this, obedience is the key that opens every door. John Calvin said, all true knowledge of God is born out of obedience. And so the question is how? How do we live lives of obedience to Jesus? I've got three things. First one is this, obedience presumes total submission to the Lordship of Jesus. Did you hear what he said? Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. Command sounds a bit like brutal, doesn't it? And so I, I went into the Greek. I was like, surely in the original Greek it doesn't say commands. And so I looked it up. The Greek word that's translated as commands is the Greek word entolas. And do you know what it means? It means commands. <laughs> Could equally be translated as orders or directions or edicts or injunctions. And do you know what it definitely doesn't mean? Suggestions or proposals, or recommendations, or ideas. He's not saying, if you love me, then bear in mind some of the things that I might or might not have said. He's saying, no, no, if you love me, you'll do exactly what I say. And all of that is to say that he's presuming, he's presupposing that we've already bowed the knee, that the relationship, the nature of the, the relationship between us and him is I'm the servant, I'm the slave, he's the master. In fact, later on in, verse, in chapter 15, he says, you're my friends if you do what I command. His followers are those who have surrendered to his lordship. Uh, at Christmas time, when we were kids, we, we used to really, really look forward to my Uncle Stephen staying for Christmas. He would always come for about a week 
and he was like an exotic sort of a creature because he was young and he had this kind of wild backcombed hair that didn't match in any way with his kind of corduroy and cardigan clothing. Uh, he had this hilarious laugh that was kind of contagious and, and really, really, and so it was just really, really fun to be around. So anyway, one Christmas time, on like Boxing Day, he said, oh, this Christmas, I've got to go home early. I've got to go back to work tomorrow. And we were like, I'm sorry, what? He said, no, I'm sorry, I've, I've got to go. I've got to be back at work. We're like, no, 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 you can't go. You always stay for a week. What are you doing? And, and he said, I've got to go. So we were like, you just sit there. We're going to persuade you. And so we go up to our bedrooms and we're looking around. I come downstairs. I say, Uncle Stephen, if you stay here, I'm going to give you my water pistol. And I kind of lay it like a ceremony down at his feet. Like, here's my water pistol if you stay. My brother gets his yo-yo. You know, he's like, you can have my yo My sister gets a teddy bear. And before, before long, there's like a whole pile. You know, Lord, you can have everything, but I'm just going to keep control of my wallet. Or, Lord, I'll be open. I'll live with a, a, a generous um, outlook towards most people just not those people or that person. If you love me, bear in mind my suggestions, absolutely not. If you love me, obey me. Follow my commands. And so we've got to just think through, Lord, am I bowing the knee to you in every area of my life? It's not a hard, hard lordship, though. Like, that's the brilliant thing. Like, we, there, is, there are lots of things and lots of people, lots of um, uh, aspects of our lives that we could bow the knee to that would be horrendous masters. But Jesus is a beautifully kind master. I was reading a biography of C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, who was like a megachurch pastor before there were megachurch pastors in, in the kind of mid-19th century. He had this huge church just beside the Elephant and Castle in London, and uh, they had to keep building a bigger and bigger building because he was just such a remarkable Bible teacher, and it was just an amazing church. So anyway, uh, you, you know, uh, as well as all kinds of wonderful things happening, he also experienced real sadness in his life, as is so often the case. You know, so, so for example, throughout his ministry, his wife was really, really unwell to the degree that she hardly ever was able to come to church and hear him preach. Imagine that. The whole world wants to come and hear you preach, but your own wife isn't able to come. There was another moment where, quite early on in his ministry where he's preaching at a conference to 10,000 people. And uh, there's 10,000 people in the room. Some guy, just as a prank, yells out, fire! And there's a stampede, and seven people are trampled underfoot and die. And so from that moment on, he lived with really debilitating depression for the rest of his life. Just very often just found himself in really deep bouts of depression. But just listen to his words. At the end of his life, just his final ever sermon, he's talking about this idea of bowing the knee. And he says, those who have no master are slaves to themselves. Depend on it. You can either serve self or the saviour. You'll find sin and self to be hard masters. But if you wear the livery of Christ, you'll find him so meek and lowly of heart that you'll find rest for your souls. He's always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. 
The heaviest end of the cross lies ever on his shoulders. These 40 years and more I've served him, I've had nothing but love from him. I'd be so glad to continue yet another 40 years in the same dear service, if it so pleased him, because serving him is life, peace, and joy. Yes, we do bow the knee to the Lord, but what a Lord. That's the first thing, obedience. Uh, secondly, obedience is best motivated by love. Obedience is best motivated by love. It's interesting to me that just doing the right things is not really enough. How we obey, why we obey, is just as important. All three times that Jesus talks about obedience in this passage, he talks about it in the context of love. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So, so our motive, our inner, the inner motive of our heart really matters. And actually Jesus, didn't he, whenever he was uh, ministering uh, um, on the earth for those three years, he, he so often reserved his harshest criticism for people who looked like they were obeying, but they were just obeying for all the wrong reasons. So for example, with the Pharisees, you know, he was hypercritical of them because they were obeying for outward appearance. Like, what does it look like to everyone else? That's a terrible motive, isn't it, for obedience? Like, I'm just going to do it so that it looks good, so that people are impressed. And, and so in Matthew 15, he says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And then he goes on to say in Matthew 23, you're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead. I mean, goodness. And so doing things for outward appearance is, is a terrible reason and he's not impressed in any way. Worse than that, he's, he's deeply unimpressed. Secondly, he's, he's, not, he's not into legalism either. The, you know, the idea that I would obey just to kind of chalk up a few marks in heaven to kind of twist God's arm. He hates that. You know, there was a moment where it seems like the Pharisees are, are so determined to just uh, obey the letter of the law that they're even looking around in their garden, in the, you know, looking at their window boxes and going, oh, well, it looks like my coriander plant has grown three centimeters. I better give 0.3 centimeters as part of my tide. Let me get a ruler and a, you know, scissors. 0.3 centimeters, snip. And he says this, he says, uh, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You're like unmarked graves. So he's not impressed by keeping up appearances, neither is he impressed by just ticking boxes. And we know that, don't we? You know, like, the truth is, if Taryn asked me to put the bin out, it's my wife Taryn, She's entitled to do that. She asked me to put the bin out. And I think, well, I'm just going to wait until the neighbors are watching. You know, and then I go out. You know, it's maybe hail and sleet and snow. And I'm out there in my dressing gown and slippers. Like, do you notice this, everyone? Can you see this? Yeah, that's the kind of husband I am, because I'm the kind of guy who puts the bins out, even in weather like this. Hi, Barry. Hi, Mary. Hi, Barbara. Yeah, that's right. I'm kind of a great husband. 
then Taron would be like, you know, I mean, the neighbors might be impressed, but Taron would be deeply unimpressed. Or if I'm like, I'm going to put the bins out because by doing that, that will kind of like put some credit in the bank that I can cash in later, then that wouldn't, oh no, actually that does work. Okay, okay that's where the whole illustration falls down. But anyway, the point is, I would, the point is the best kind of obedience flows not from any of those things. It flows from love. It flows from, I want to do this because I love you. And so therefore, if I want to restore the levels of obedience in my own life, the best thing I could do is to stoke the fire of devotion in my own heart. To say, Jesus, I, I love you and I want to love you more. And out of that springs the obedience of my heart. Obedience is best motivated by love. And finally, and I'll finish with this, obedience is surrounded by grace. One of my favorite moments in the whole of the Bible is in the story of the prodigal son. If you, even if you're not familiar with the Bible or with, with Christianity very much, you might have heard of the story of the prodigal son. You know, it's a story of a, a, a young uh, man who, who just decides, I've had enough of my life, I've had enough of my family, and I'm just going to go off. And he just goes off and has a, a kind of wild time, but just a really debauched time, and uh, just uh, abandons his family and so on. And, and he's just suddenly comes to him like, what am I doing? I've just made a terrible mess of my life. And, and it's like almost as soon as he turns his body towards home, he sees his father running towards him. And, he's, and as it, 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 Jesus actually says, the father is running towards the son with his arms outstretched. And he's got a ring in one hand and a robe in the other. He's like, come, let's just make you the special guest in my house. You know, it's God who does all the running. And, and especially with this obedience thing, you know, it's God who's doing all the running. You know, when I first read this passage, I found it hard because I was like, oh, Jesus, you're just telling me I've just got to obey. Okay, I mean, I'll do my best. I, I, you know, I, I, I'll try. But it felt like, gosh, I'm having to do a lot of work here. And then you know, I mean, you, you probably didn't think that, but for me, I was like, gosh, this is hard. And, and then I realized, oh, my goodness, there's actually only three verses in this passage that talk about what I'm going to do, and all of the rest are what God is going to do. You know, it's like all of the energy, all of the activity, all of the passion is coming from God himself. And, and actually, the whole thing is grace, isn't it? And so, for example, he says that the Holy Spirit is going to remind you of everything Jesus said. So you could be far away from God. You could be in absolute rebellion against God. And even in that place, God, by his Spirit, is reminding you. He's knocking on the door of your heart. He's saying, if only you would choose obedience, then God will come running towards you. And then as we choose obedience then suddenly he makes all kinds of other promises. We won't be left as orphans, but the Father and the Son will come to us by the, by, by the Spirit. And he's promising us that we'll experience the overflowing and abundant love of God the Father. He's promising us that he and his Father will come and make a home with us. He's promising us peace for the journey. And then actually in verse 30, which we, I didn't read as far as, there's a moment where Jesus promises something even more remarkable. He says, I'm going to demonstrate to you what true obedience looks like. 
And so verse 30, I, I won't say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father has commanded me. And so in that moment, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to demonstrate to you how this works. And of course, then in the Garden of Gethsemane that we'll come on to later towards Easter, Jesus is saying, not my will be done, but your will be done. Do you see, like, we just need to turn our will, make our decision to choose God, to choose obedience to God, and all of the rest of it is grace. And for me, that's the central message of this passage, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that the triune God, the full weight of heaven and earth is being deployed to help me to be obedient to the words of Jesus. And so our decision is to cooperate with the activity of God in our lives, to count as precious his instructions and then to do whatever he tells us to do. Let's pray. And Jesus, we bow the <coughs> knee to you. That's our decision. We put everything back on the table. We hold nothing back. We give you the right, we give you the authority to tell us what to do. And we pray, Jesus, by your spirit, would you help us? Please, God, help us. We want to be faithful. Amen.